Welcome to Latitude 40, redesigning tourism on a small island. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We acknowledge the Palawa people of the Trawulawai Nation and recognise their continuing connection to the land, waters and culture of the islands. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. The first thing you'll notice on Flinders and the Ferno group of islands is the breathtaking scenery. In every direction, what you see is like nothing else in the world. It's deeper than quiet beaches and coastlines, mountains and mist. These islands have a rich and dark history and an intensely passionate community that wants to reckon with its past and build the right future together. No one is here because it is the easiest place to live. Everyone is here because it's different. When something works on these islands, it tends to be small and special. As the rest of the world chases growth, we chase meaning. We have a complex relationship with change because we understand what it can bring. It's different here, and we make different invitations to visitors. For an unforgettable time on Flinders Island, learn to be one of us for a few days, a week, or the rest of your life. Slow down, listen, get lost, contribute. Don't try to change this place. Let this place change you. I'm Debbie Clark. And I'm Josie Major. We're honoured to be your hosts for this Latitude 40 series, sharing the stories of the Flinders Island community and the Island Away Regenerative Tourism Living Lab. Hello, I'm uh, Ben Backhouse. Uh, I produce uh, essential oils on Flinders Island. Could you start by telling us a bit about life on Flinders Island? Um, What's unique about the island and why do you live there? What do you love about it? There's a lot of variables in this question. I've thought about it and it will have to be obviously the island and there's a lot of contributing factors with that and it's it goes with uh, you know the an eclectic bunch of people uh, all with the same, you know, love for the island. It's uh, it's got to be, you know, how scenic it is here as well. You know, it's it's pretty untouched and uh, it is very very much wild, and uh, and the wildlife as well. I, it's something that I haven't seen so much of before. I think there's no real natural predators here. Um, you know, we have wedgetail eagles and that kind of thing, uh, but just there's an immense uh, native uh, population of, of wildlife, whether that be the wallabies, lots of wombats, uh, echidnas, blonde echidnas, 
you know, we even have wild turkeys that, that go through uh, all the farmlands and, and just uh, <laughs> uh, roam around, if you will, free will. And, you know, you, generally people are eating these, but, you know, they're just getting around. Uh, there's lyre birds and, as I said before, the, all the, uh, the bird life as well is intense, um, you know, just a array of birds. And to see, you know, large eagles or hawks flying around, it's, uh, it's really something to see. Plenty of snakes as well, but, <laughs> and uh, but again, it's it's very safe here, and uh, it's really when you go for a, a walk or a hike or whatever, um, you're bound to run into something and see something, see an animal or see a wallaby, or get the chance to uh, to get up close and see some wildlife. So, tell us about your line of work. Tell us about bush pharmacy and and what that's all about. And we'd also love to hear uh, your origin story. It's a, it's a little bit different. I guess that it plays in with, with the island and why people turn up here. Um, my father once visited uh, about 20-something years ago and he really loved the place. And growing up, he always said that he was going to retire to Flinders Island. Us boys were like, where, who, <laughs> why? And uh, he just fell in love with the place. And I think a lot of people uh, fall under the same trap. Um, a lot of residents are were tourists or visitors, and so he did that. He semi-retired and came to Flinders. So after, probably about 2013, he moved moved to the island to semi-retire. And uh, our family business is a background in essential oils, uh, mainly trading and exporting. Um, and for about 25 years. So when we when he moved to the island, um, he saw that there was actually a, a potential. To, uh, to start an essential oil industry on the island just with the, uh, the abundance of, of native species that grow pure in, in wild form um, and undiluted. So there's a lot of opportunistic ones that uh, the Flinders farmers uh, have an ongoing war with. Uh, they're a lot of pioneering species. So uh, as I said before, they, uh, they'll take over if that makes sense. And there's this constant battle of uh, plants encroaching into farmland and uh, the farmer trying to, to take back, if that makes sense. Um, so there was a, a whole lot of, of pushing up of these plants or, or scrub or slashing or poisoning. And uh, my father saw an opportunity that, okay, let's, um, let's take these plants and, and try and... Uh, harvest and distill them and, and make a product. And uh, so it really came from a place of him not being able to sit still and, uh, and his entrepreneurial nature of, of seeing an opportunity and, uh, and trying to take it somewhere. And there was a lot of trial and error to begin with. And it did come from a place of being resourceful from, from a waste product. Um, that really, you know, it was, it was open there and um, it was available and uh, also to create something for the island as well other than having the, you know, the, just the traditional farming, um, you know, as other industries slowly die out in regional areas that we, we see everywhere. Um, it really came from a place where we could actually do something for the island and put Flinders Island on the map for, uh, for a product. Um, and again, one of one of those points was having you know essential oils as a high value product, but a, a low volume. So that really helped with logistics of of getting it off the island as well. 
Um, so a lot of trialing and error, uh, uh, trial and error to, to get to this point and then to become a viable business. And uh, I'll always be grateful for Flinders Island community to for them opening up the the farm gate, if if uh, if you will, and allowing those initial trials uh, to happen. Um, and I don't think that would happen anywhere else. It's, uh, it plays back to the island community and um, and people encouraging or, or wanting to see people do well or to see something different as well and going, right, yeah, if we can help, we will help. Um, so basically that's how uh, things started. So that's how um, I end up moving down here. I would come down to visit and uh, I would come with a – you know, for two or three days and it ended up always being a few extra weeks and whatnot. And the last time was about six weeks and I just said, okay, let's, let's have a go at this. I'll move down and, and get my hands dirty as well. Uh, so we still, uh, so essentially we, we go into to the wilds and we, we harvest plants and uh, biomass and we bring that back to the distillery near close to Whitemark and we've got a facility there with a few um, with a few boilers and we uh, we cook the plants uh, and, and produce essential oils. Um, it's come from a place of being very small time and, and just seeing if it's a viable business to something that's actually contributing to the to the local economy and uh, we're trying to uh, to bring more people on and um, and go forth. Uh, we're we're planting, uh, putting, taking wild harvested stock now and uh, propagating that on our on-site hothouse. And uh, and putting into plantation to to further the industry and um, and the products that we do, and uh, as I said before, a lot of it is pioneering. Um, you know, Flinders Island is pretty much the forefront of of native essential oil production in Tasmania, and creating a market for that too, um, which is really interesting and and really good for the island as a whole. Um, as I said, the uh, having such a high value but low volume of product the reach of that is you know unfathomable we, you know the uh, some of our products end up all over the world um us uk all over europe in asia so it it really has you know a little bit of oil can go a long way what are some of the oils like for list if there are listeners around the world what are some of the oils that you're selling that they might want to get their hands on it's always a hard one when I when I get this question because it's it's predominantly Australian natives, and as I said uh, earlier, that there are it is a lot of it is experimental to a degree, or we're the very first to do some of these and creating a market for that. So I'll list them out. Uh, we do uh, our main one is Kunzia Ambigua. Um, and uh, this is the one that uh, our main focus is in, in plantations. Uh, we do a, Mer- a Melaleuca ericofolia, which is uh, a similar to a lavender tea tree oil. Uh, we do a coastal tea tree oil, which as far as I'm aware, that we're the only one in the country that do this. Um, we also do a Elliptospermum scoparium, which is uh, the Manuka plant. And uh, on island, we have a, a different aroma, which is quite uh, interesting. Uh, we do a smoky tea tree, and we do a, a Flinders Island blue gum, which again is uh, a Flinders Island Tasmanian blue gum, which uh, no one really has done before either. Um, and I think being uh, so isolated and with the land bridge and whatnot, um, we really have the purest form 
of these plants and the strongest have survived uh, with that gap and um, plants haven't been able to, to hybridise. We've got our select plants of native species that, that are dominant here and, and the best have survived, if that makes sense. So they've all taken their own little uh, paths of aromas and, and context and, uh, and, and uh, things like that. That's awesome. I love hearing about the those unique particular aromas to your place. I think that's so there's something um quite poetic about that. That's <laughs> very it, cool. It, it is to a degree. It's um and it's it's probably something to do with the uh, being so far south as well. A lot of uh native production of other oils are, are done where they've got grow season all year round. You know, um part of bush pharmacy is uh still with our trading business that look after a lot of uh, volume of oil for other farmers on on the Australian mainland. And, um, you know, they they have tea tree that grows two metres tall within 12 months. You know, you know, their winters only get down to 20 degrees and that's cold for them. So they've got a growth cycle all, all year round. Where down here we do have that, you know, obviously the, the definite seasons and things do slow down. And potentially that may have something that uh, that has to do with the oil, and um, and being on an island in the middle of nowhere, and a bit of salt spray, and uh, you know that kind of thing all plays its part. No one can really put the finger on why, but yeah. Again, these genetical differences, being you know, with that land break and all that, uh, would all play a part as well. You can't uh, manufacture that that the uniqueness. No, special special thing. It is. It is. We want to ask you about sort of, I guess, looking forward and and thinking about the future of of the island and and the community and and perhaps the the natural environment of the island as well. If you want to speak to that, but what what does a thriving Flinders Island look like? What's your kind of vision for what Flinders could look like in the future? That's a very, very good question, and I think there would be a lot of conflicting uh, perspectives on this, uh, so I'll speak from uh, my, uh, my thoughts. Um, I think we need uh, a little bit more of a population. Um, I see that tourism is a way to, obviously, that's how my father came here and, and me to a degree, and I know a lot of islanders have. Um, so I, I understand that tourism plays a big part with with exposing and um, and showcasing the island for people to want to move here. There is an issue we're definite with housing that needs to be addressed, and because um, a lot of people do want to move here or take the plunge, but they've got nowhere to live, and uh, that is a, a bit of an issue. So I see that we're going to have to untie some of that red tape. I think a little bit of very appropriate um, considered development could help with with this, uh, whether that's in other industry or trying to bring industry here or even having people, you know, a lot of people work from home these days and they can live in a place like this. You know, um, we're all open to the internet now and and things are becoming more reliable. Um, I see... Potentially, you know, being a bit more self-sufficient to a degree, 
I think, you know, having in two ways, being being on island, you become very resourceful for what you've got. And there's a lot of people that have grown up on the island that are super resourceful and, you know, they save every little bit and that will come in handy in the future and whatnot. And I really appreciate that. I think you see when, uh, when you live here, your impact of what you use because you can't get away from it. <laughs> so if it's waste or whether, you know, it's... Um, you know, how much wood you use or this or that, it's, it starts to become obvious because you have to move it yourself as well. So, you know, whether that's going to the tip and, and whatnot. So it's really uh, measurable in that way. I'd love to see, you know, that, that we're going back to that being um, a bit more self-sufficient and maybe that's potentially we've, I think there's conversations about food and, and whatnot and, and having a bit more, you know, Grocery, green grocery items, you know, there's a few that are doing market gardens, but they wouldn't be able to satisfy um, the population. So whether that gets streamlined to a degree, so, you know, that creates more jobs in that way and, you know, less food miles and, and whatnot. Um, you know, there's some promising things. The abattoirs just opened up, so those guys, are, you know, will be able to have more on-island meat now, which we haven't had for a couple of years. Um, so I see, you know, obviously it all play, plays a part, I believe, with, um, a little bit of industry and, and people doing things to create employment, you know, because we need, you know, more children at the school for more teachers and it all plays its part. That's great hearing that from your perspective is just, there is a need for, for more people and more industries and, and thoughtful development. Mm. that can contribute to the community. Absolutely. I think um, that comes from a place that, you know, a thriving Flinders Island, it's people aren't against the tourism. I think it's the people want the people that come to visit to appreciate the island as much as they do. And I feel that since being here, you there is some sort of ownership with the people that live here to the island uh, and not in a selfish way but in a respectful way as well that, um, you know, no one leaves their rubbish around. People want to see the island remain as it is. And that's why a lot of people live, live here because they love those natural aspects. You can go to the beach and there's no one going to be there for a few kilometres. You know, you, you have that isolation, you have that pureness. Um, and I think that, you know, that plays in a, in a way of, of the place thriving as well as people are considered of this. Sounds like you all take your responsibility of, of stewardship very seriously. I think so. I, and I wouldn't label it like that, but when, if you have to, I think so. I think you've, you've nailed that. Yes. I haven't really thought about it like that. But yeah. It's, it is to, to a degree. Yes. Yeah. I know I do hear uh, custodian of the land a lot oh, yeah. in, in that, um, in that kind yeah. of aspect. But yes. So, so you've spoken a little bit already about the role that tourism can play in that. If you could say something to visitors, what would it be and, and what role would you like them to play in this caretaking of your place? As I said before about the uh, just being respectful of, of place, of where you are, and, and take note of that um, this is what it is. It is wild. It is, um, it is remote. You're going to have some issues of 
not having the conveniences, but if that's what you want, you're probably in the wrong place. Um, really enjoy, but enjoy that for what it is as well. Is it get really resonate with with the isolation and that you are a little person on a little speck in the middle of Bass Strait in the middle of nowhere and smell that ocean breeze and uh, really appreciate where you are and the reasons why a lot of the residents are here specifically for that as well. Oh, I think, I mean, that's, yeah, that's just wonderful. I, I'm, I'm so happy we got to talk to you because it's, it's definitely a, it's a really valuable perspective for this um, story. So thanks for giving us the time. You are very welcome. And as I said before, it's not, uh, I, it's not, I don't like doing these things. <laughs> I don't like, I'm not, a, I'm not very social, but I see that there's a place, um, obviously, anything to help the community. As I said, you know, with my father starting the business and, and whatnot, and if this helps in any way to the community, I feel that I need to do these kind of things. You know, they, they call up and, you know, to do interviews on ABC and this and that. And I always say yes because I feel like I should be contributing something from Flinders Island for a bit of payback, if that makes sense. I just I think it helps us all to a degree, and uh, and anything I can do, um, I you know I will say yes, even though uh, <laughs> outside bit, your yeah, that's yeah. the best way of putting it. You know, I think you possibly would have heard from the other other um, members or islanders. That there is a bit of contention with, you know, development and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I'm very cautious now to, to pitch that. Obviously, I, I don't want to see results here and whatnot. I think it needs to play as it is. But, again, there needs to be, you know, considered, considered developments and also that help with industry, not just with tourism, but, again, tourism is, uh, you know, employs a few people on the island. And, uh, you know, and it showcases the island, which then helps with, you know, giving a face for products like, you know, just in the last couple of years, us doing the essential oils here. Now we've got the, um, the actual whiskey distillery as well. And, you know, so it's really good. There's, and we, I find that from a place where I see that is important because that will help other people move here to create something on island, which will help us with more you know, buying power or, or whatnot and, and give a face to the island and really tell the story of the island as well, that people don't have to come here. They can have a bit of Flinders Island in a product that leaves the island, which, you know, it helps retain, you know, adds to the community and the associated business around that community. I think all people need to do is listen to one of you guys speak and they'll want to come to because yeah. Debbie and I are, are completely convinced that we need to come. I don't know. I, I'm not going to say that I'm well-travelled, um, but I have been a few places. I've been lucky enough to, to, to have seen uh, some nice places. Uh, my wife is actually Hungarian, um, so it's, it's, a weird, it's a weird contrast of I've been I've, – I was born in Sydney. Uh, I lived in Brisbane and um, and Hobart. I did a lot of growing up there and a little bit of university there. I've also lived in the outback and I uh, did underground mining for five years and I lived in Mount Isa. And I think that may have helped with the transition to moving to the island that you can appreciate. Uh, okay, there's no 
traffic and congestion and you know you can have a hard day of work but you can be on the beach with the dogs within two minutes of uh, knocking off you know so you get these kind of you're able to reset all the time and take the, the values of the island and being isolated and and just being able to go wow you know this is the reason that i that i live here um i get i don't i'm not stuck in traffic <laughs> i can uh, go fishing when i want or when the where the weather permits and um yeah you really get a sense of of um of home it was weird i just recently went to europe quickly for a, a quick business trip with off island off island um our off-island business, sorry, and um, I just couldn't wait to get home. You know, I went to, you know, just I'm in Hamburg in Germany and Barcelona and Paris <laughs> and all I wanted to do was just get back on the plane and come home and it just felt so good just to, uh, to uh, smell that island air and um, get my feet on the ground. And it's, it's funny, you know, you, you really appreciate a place for what it is when you have something else to compare it to. And, um, yeah, I'm really grateful, you know, to, to have, yeah, found, well, to live on the island, to be honest, yeah. It is challenging to live here, but it's so rewarding as well. Thank you for listening to Latitude 40, redesigning tourism on a small island. This podcast is part of the Island Away Project which is being undertaken on Flinders Island by Designing Tourism. The project is funded by the Tasmanian Government. We also acknowledge Designing Tourism Partners, Flinders Council, Visit Northern Tasmania and the Tourism Collab. The music is by Judy Jacques and the introduction, read by Jana Monon, is an extract from the Flinders Island brand story, The Island Away. This podcast has been hosted and produced by Good Awaits, Debbie Clark and Josie Major with audio production by Clary Macklin.